The peace of Christ be with you. Friends, as we continue to gather in this place, I invite you to take about three deep breaths to be settled into the presence of the Spirit and to be held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship the living God.
Thank you for that. Please rise and join me in the call to worship. Slow us down that we might be present to this moment. Release us from all that threatens to pull us elsewhere. Take care of those for whom we carry concern this hour. Allow us to rescue you, Lord. Grant us clarity. Bless us. may be seated. I want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is good to be worshiping with you today. I do invite you after worship into our patio in Finley Hall area for coffee, tea, and snacks, and most importantly, a chance to get to know each other just a little better. I invite you now to join me in the community prayer that's printed in the bulletin. Let us pray. Ever-present God, our minds are constantly beaten. 
unencumbered experience of you, for clarity of thought and for purity of heart. Help us trust that in the fullness of this moment, we will be prepared for the next. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, in God's wisdom and compassion, we receive grace that we might live anew. Let us continue to feast on the living bread, which is given to us each and every day, and give thanks to the God who lifts us up with the gifts of forgiveness and love. Amen. This is the third Sunday of the month, so if you have a birthday in August or maybe missed a blessing in a previous month, I invite you to come forward for the birthday blessing. A happy birthday to all of you. Uh, now, I'm curious up here, how many of you are either going back to school soon or have a child going back to school soon? Like lots of you. It's the same in my household. So I know that technically summer doesn't actually end till mid-September, but I have to say it really feels like summer's about to come to an end and all fall is about to kick in. So as I was thinking of that, I came across this prayer it's called Prayer of Praise at the End of Summer. And I wanted to share it with all of you, but I wanted to share it especially with you because I also think it could be a prayer of praise at the end of one year of your birth and the beginning of another. So let us pray together. Praise to you, God, for long, warm days, for buzzing bees and chirping crickets, for shade trees and gentle breezes, Praise to you for the earth's rotation, for our cycle around the sun, for sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Praise to you for the order of the universe, the variety of the seasons, the gift of another summer. Amen. And I would add for each of you, praise God for the gift of another year. And I pray that this year ahead for you may be filled with all of God's blessings. So happy birthday to each one of you. You may be seated, unless you would like to stay up with me for the time of discovery, which you're welcome to. And I'd like to invite any of our children worshiping with us to come join me here at the front.
Good morning. Good to see you guys. This is my first Sunday back in a couple of weeks because I was on a vacation with my family. And one day during our vacation, we decided that we were going to rent bicycles and ride bikes around a brand new city. So we looked up the place to rent the bikes, and we went, and we got our helmets, and we were all ready. And then we realized we have no idea where to go. We're in a a brand new city. We're in Seattle, Washington, and we had these bikes, and we were excited and ready, but what do we do? Now what? So we asked this very nice man who was helping us with our bikes, like, do you have any suggestions on where we should ride? And you know what he did. He pulled out this map. It's actually called the Seattle Bike Map. And not only did he give us the map, but I don't know if you can see, he actually highlighted on the map a route, can you see it over here? A route that we should, he suggested we bike to be able to see the most cool things. And perhaps my favorite, he also wrote on the map where to find a chocolate shop. Yep, right there, see? Theo's Chocolates right there. And I have to tell you, this map was so helpful. You'll note it's a little kind of tattered because I pulled it out about every five minutes. Like, okay, where do we need to go? Where do we need to go? It was so helpful, and it really helped us to see the city and enjoy our bike ride. And I was thinking about that as I was thinking about the Bible stories that you all are going to hear today in Sunday school. And I, for me, at least, sometimes Bible stories are a little bit like this map. They kind of show me where to go in my life, kind of help me with what to do. It's one thing I really love about learning a new Bible story. Is it has a little bit of direction, like this map does, about how I might treat others, about how I might treat myself, about how I might love God. I really like that because sometimes, just like we didn't know where to go in Seattle, sometimes a little unsure about how to relate to another person. And the Bible stories always help me with that. And then I have to tell you, even though I had this map, right about here on the map, we were riding, and we went under this big bridge as we were riding along this river. And then I thought to myself, I think I'm supposed to be crossing over that bridge, not be riding under it. Hmm. So I got out my map again, and we sort of had to retrace our steps and try again. And that's another way that it reminded me sort of of God's direction in my life. I don't always follow God's direction. I don't always love as I should love. I don't always be as kind as I should be. I don't always forgive as I should. But that's okay. Even when I mess up, God's still there to direct me in the right direction, to help me love, to help me be kind, and I am so grateful for that. So when you listen to the Bible studies in your Sunday school class today, take a listen for what direction might be in there, for how you might treat others with love and kindness, all right? So I know some of you are just returning, and some of you out there are just returning from the summer, so let me tell you where you're going. If you're in second grade or younger... You're going to go, and there'll be adults out there to help you. In fact, I see Mimi there with an excellent sign. If you're in second grade or younger, you're going to follow Mimi right there all the way out across the playground to the preschool building across the playground. Mimi will show you. If you're in third to fifth grade, you're just going to go right in Finley Hall. Madeline will be there to help you. If you're in middle school, you're going to go to our middle school classroom, which is right beyond the stairs. If any of that confused you, don't worry, because there are adults out there that are going to help you get to where you need to go. All right? Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the power of God surround you everywhere.
I just want to add to those directions. If you're a parent of a child in second grade or younger, we ask that you actually go across to that preschool building and pick them up um, so they won't be wandering around lost. And now comes the time in our worship service where we share with each other, share our joys and our concerns. So if you have something to share with us, I invite you to raise your hand and let us know. Yeah, June. So prayers for a son's girlfriend, Felicia, who's under palliative care for cancer. And then other son's wife. Wow. Bitten by a dog, had surgery, healing very well. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Prayers for brother's wife who passed away from cancer recently. Yeah, Jerry. Sister-in-law Kathleen entered into hospice care last week. Others? Yeah, Bill. Excellent. So wife Trigg, who had a rather unexpected surgery a couple weeks ago, but has received a clean bill of health following that. Michael. Hey, brag anytime you want. It's a joy to have you with us. Michael's mom, who's just recently celebrated her 103rd birthday and is worshiping with us today. Welcome. Anyone else? I think after that, it's hard to have. Yes. Florence, what do you got? Hmm. Your cousin lost her husband to lung cancer last week. Well, let's have a few moments of quiet as we hold all of these prayers in our hearts and our minds, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us be in prayer together. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and they're offered in the name of the one who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into
first scripture reading is Psalm 111, verses 1 through 10. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is the Lord's work. And the Lord's righteousness endures forever. The Lord has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. She provides food for those who fear her. She is ever mindful of her covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of the Lord's hands are faithful and just. All the Lord's precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. The Lord sent redemption to the people. The Lord has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is the name of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. The Lord's praise endures forever. This is holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading comes from the letter to the Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses 15 to 20. Listen for what the Spirit is continuing to say to us this morning. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God, the Father, at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I wonder how many of you have followed this story of the mother orca whale who's been carrying her dead calf. It's been going on recently and this is not an uncommon practice for orca whales or other marine mammals. When they give birth, they'll often have to do a little work pushing the newborn to the surface so they can breathe. But this calf was dead, and yet the mother continued to try to lift her dead child to the surface. Well, scientists following this and, and, and others just interested who were looking on, started to wonder what was happening. Was the mother confused? Was she deranged? Did she not know her calf was dead? Well, I find it hard to believe any mother doesn't really know. Some wondered if it was some kind of mourning practice. And to be sure, uh, orcas have been known to do this for up to a week uh, with a dead calf. 75% of the population of this particular 
uh, pod or, or population uh, doesn't make it past uh, the early stages of life. But this mother went far beyond a week, and it was 17 days before she finally released the dead calf into the sea. It's a story that really touches the heart, at least mine. Uh, I, I tell it to you, it was the, one of the first stories I encountered when I emerged from, from three weeks away, and so it was a shock indeed. Going away, one of the things that's nice is you keep all the bad news out. Uh, I had a two weeks of vacation and a week of continuing education, which was as restorative as vacation, so that's a lot of time away to sort of just soak in some goodness and keep out those stories that break your heart. I, I started to notice that when I go away, about two things happen to me. I don't know about you. And the first is that you f finally kind of unwind and let down and let go. But that takes a while. It takes me a few days. And so as I uh, thought about other people, I wondered how those who never take time away for more than a day here or a day there or those who take time, but they always take their work with them. I wonder how they let down and finally unwind all the tense and tangled up pieces. And then even more, I started to think about the people who are not afforded the right to take time off or can't afford any time away. In many cultures, it's just mandated. You take a month or two months. Or, but for us, it's a luxury, so I'm mindful of that luxury. And then I think about how society might be different if everyone had the opportunity I had take a little bit of time away and push those stories to the side and un unwind. But there's a second thing that happens to me I've learned when I go away. My spiritual director has helped me figure this out, is that as I let down, some things come up. Maybe you've had this experience. I first discovered it after coming back from a pilgrimage one time, and I entered just a real funk, I mean, almost a depression and my director said, well, well, of course, because what you've done is you've made room in your life to listen for some voices that are normally drowned out by the busyness of everyday life or pushed aside or kept down. And now that you've made room, you can hear them and they're asking for your attention and you need to just keep making room and attend to them because they need to be heard. And so that's part of what happens when you go away. And sometimes it happens during the trip, but often happens afterwards. And I felt it this time as we were flying back to California. See, our plane was delayed because the smoke was so thick in the skies that air traffic control had to spread the planes out more. And as we were descending into San Francisco and the haze started to appear, I could feel myself tightening back up and some things coming up. I'm in my sixth year, and I've got to tell you, I am still not used to the fires. Lack of humidity, that was an easier adjustment. <laughs> but the smoke in the air, man. Now, I don't know if it's because I've got a child who struggles with asthma, or if it's just because I grew up in the Midwest, where nature's strength is shown through tornadoes and thunderstorms, which I actually enjoy a good storm. Whew, fires, not so much. I don't know, maybe it's just me. The firefighters I know, and we've come to know a few, uh, seem to love it, and they are sad when they can't go to the front lines to fight it. But even they've started to recognize that these are bigger than they've been. 
maybe starting earlier, breaking records. Scientists tell us that the hotter and drier conditions which are becoming the new normal in this climate exacerbate what is otherwise a natural occurrence. That starts to trigger things inside me. Things start to come up that I can push away when I just stay busy. And as I'm kind of dealing with that, we stay in touch with friends and family we have in Florida who are telling us about this awful uh, red tide season. If you know anything about the red tide, it, it is a normally naturally occurring thing where there are algae blooms in the ocean, but that gives off toxic uh, stuff for the air and the water. But because of warmer sea temperatures and fertilizer runoff from factory farms and other uses, it exacerbates it. And so the season is getting longer and bigger and more intense. We have friends in Sarasota who say you open your door no matter where you live and you just smell death. And so the beaches are now littered with bodies. As of last Thursday, 605 sea turtles had washed up dead. A hundred manatees, right? It's not like those populations are, are healthy to begin with. And again, starts, something starts to come up in me. Is this what Ephesians meant by evil days? It sort of feels like that sometimes. I mean, I, know, I don't believe that the writer of Ephesians was actually predicting what would happen in 2018, as maybe some Christians might. But this letter, filled with wisdom, does know something about troubled times. And therefore, it's instructive to us about how to live and how to be in the midst of troubled times. Now, if you're confused by the passage you heard or, or many of the other passages you hear in the Bible, you shouldn't feel bad about that. They're confusing. These letters are strange, and in particularly uh, around the theme of time, they're strange. And they seem to talk in ways that we don't talk in, so it's worth unpacking it a little bit, so bear with me. Part of what's going on is Ephesians is infused with this theme that Christians call eschatology, which is a big word that simply means the end times. Some Christians really love that kind of talk. This notion that there will be some culmination and then something new that will emerge. But to make it even more confusing is there are two streams of end times thought, and they're a little bit interwoven in Ephesians. The first is called future eschatology. And it was the belief that uh, Jesus would come back, and when he came back, things would come to an end, and then there'd be this new beginning, this new birth of a new creation and reality. And you see this particularly in the earliest writings, and it's hard to figure out which are earliest because they're not in order in the Bible. But the earliest writings of Paul, like 1 Thessalonians, this is where the rapture comes from if you ever uh, were... Well, I won't make fun of the novels, but if you ever read those novels or knew people that got really into it, they're drawing from this largely misunderstood passage in 1 Thessalonians. Things would come to an end, and then there'd be a new beginning. But when that didn't happen, or at least didn't happen in the way that some of those early followers of Christ expected, they started to evolve in their thinking, and they came up with what we now call realized eschatology, 
which says that actually Christ already ushered in the new reality, and maybe it's not fully complete, but it's already been brought into this reality, and we're simply to learn to live into it. Ephesians has a little bit of both in it, but it leans toward the latter. Okay, now that's helpful for us to understand, because, and, and whether you grasp it fully or not is, is maybe not as important, but it underlines the point that for the author of Ephesians, who probably isn't Paul, for the author of Ephesians, the times have an urgency to them. You see what's at stake for those early Christian writers. And I think for us they're instructive too because I think our times have an urgency to them. And when I was sitting with my same spiritual director just this past month kind of processing some of this, we came to the conclusion that maybe what I'm feeling is perhaps we're not carrying an appropriate amount of urgency about our times. I don't mean anxiety. My gift says you're carrying your fair share of that. I am, I know. But urgency and anxiety are the same thing. Urgency is taking that concern and channeling it into some kind of constructive action. And how are we being urgent about what the times are calling us to do, about any number of issues, about this one in particular I wonder, are we urgent enough about whether our children, whether they have asthma or not, will have clean air to breathe or clean water to drink? Many already don't. And what will the wars look like fought over water? We've seen what they look like fought over oil. And how will we feed a growing population without spoiling the earth in the process? Now, I know there are those who are really concerned about this in the congregation and who are doing work on it. And what I've come to realize is I simply need to join them a little bit more. Because I was thinking about it. I, I first learned about what was then called the greenhouse effect, what now we call climate change. In 19, the 1987-88 the school year, I was in fifth grade. And I probably haven't gone a day in my life, call me a weird kid, where I haven't worried about it. But maybe the time is to turn some of that worry into a little bit more productive action. Come alongside those people in the congregation who've, who've been working and, and see what we can do. So I plan to do that and get involved a little bit more and be a little bit more explicit about that. Because for me, it's a matter of faith. If, if I'm a Christian, and I, I, for your sake, hope I am, then I'm called to love God, this is not hard, love God and love what God loves, which I see most clearly exhibited in Jesus Christ. And if I can't actively love all that God has made in God's glory and God has given to us freely, then my faith has just no integrity left. And it's all just a show otherwise, if it doesn't bear some kind of fruit, pun intended. Well, as I was thinking about how to join these folks in the congregation who are doing some good work on this issue, I started to explore what are some other ways we could get connected and partners we could find. And so I was on the California Interfaith Power and Light website. The Interfaith Power and Light's a national organization that does wonderful work around clean energy and sustainability. It has state chapters. And so I was looking on their website, and then I found this link that said Member Congregations by County. And I thought, do I dare click on Marin? 
because I fear I'm going to see a bunch of people and places doing more than I'm helping do here. But I went ahead and did, and then Westminster Presbyterian was listed right under there. Who knew? Well, maybe I was supposed to know. Maybe I had known and forgotten. What is embarrassing is that was it was kind of encouraging because what it said to me is the partners are already in place. The tools are right there. Oh, maybe we have to dust them off a little bit, but they're right there. We don't have to invent anything. We just have to join in with other people who are responding to urgency with some kind of action. And so I'm excited about acting. The alternative is worse. It's tempting, whether it's this issue or whatever issue keeps you up at night. It's tempting to just put your head in the sand and think it'll all go away. But often then when you lift your head up, the view is much worse. And wouldn't you know, Ephesians addresses this too. I know it doesn't sound like it. It reads like some uh, you know, sort of rant from the Puritan era. Don't revel in drunkenness, for that is debauchery. Uh, it sounds a little out of touch. Heaven forbid people get drunk, they might end up dancing. <laughs> but it's not as prudish as you think. I mean, give the writer a little credit. Unpack the metaphor of the drunkenness. What is someone when they are drunk, right? They're stumbling around, they're loud, they don't listen well. They're out of touch with their surroundings. That's why they can't stand up straight. That's why they can't speak appropriately or hear. They're drunk. They've numbed themselves from what's going on around them or within them. The opposite of drunkenness is not lameness or being boring or being a buzzkill at parties, The opposite of drunkenness is clarity. It's wisdom. It's the ability to act deeply in touch with with what's going on around and within. And what the author of Ephesians is lifting up in his or her troubled times is the need to likewise act with that kind of sobriety and clarity and wisdom. I think that's what Ephesians is trying to get us to do. Something strange has happened uh, in my sort of colleague circle in the last year or so. Maybe it's because the life stage we're reaching, or I I don't know what it is. But a number of my colleagues uh, have given up drinking. Now, maybe it's because of, you know, uh, alcoholism runs in their family or whatever. But I have to wonder if it's not also out of some deep sensing that our time is calling for a little more sobriety a little more urgency that's born out of wisdom and clarity and commitment. I just wonder that. If they've somehow tapped into this notion that now is really important and right now is a really powerful time if we would but open our eyes to it. Well, this is what certainly the the great spiritual teacher and author that has influenced many would say, Eckhart Tolle, who many of you probably know. He's been influential in a lot of spiritual households, including the Christian one. There's a quote from him on your bulletin cover. One of his best-selling works is called The Power of Now. And if you're not familiar with Tolle, one of the things he talks about is what he calls the pain body. In the pain body, he defines as all the emotional pain and scars that you carry around 
that's been accumulated in your life, and it just kind of exists in your energy field. That's the part that should light up in Marin. You have an energy field. Ah, oh, I should feel familiar. <laughs> but you carry that around, and the pain body becomes debil. Everybody has one, but it becomes debilitating when you don't attend to it enough. Because eventually it will grab your attention and it will leave you unable to do anything but listen to it. And so the invitation is to slow down and to say, I see you and I hear you and I'm listening and tell me what you need me to hear. And only then can you release it and will it let go of you and you can carry on. So tellingly, Tole locates his whole discussion in the framework of time. I mean, notice he doesn't talk about the power of strength, uh, of, of enduring, of blasting through and plowing through difficult times, of never taking a break. He doesn't talk about the, the, uh, the power of, you know, connections or networking or, or uh, money. He talks about the power of now, which is simply a moment in time. Because for Tolle, now is all you ever have. And so by extension, you can understand that what, what leads to some of our own suffering is getting caught in these cycles of endless regret about the past that only sort of chew us up, or this constant anxiety about the future. And our culture, unlike some cultures, is a future-oriented society. So we're obsessed with the myth that the next moment will be better, so we always sacrifice the present moment for a next moment that A, never comes, and B, is never as good as we thought it would be, or rarely. It's this anxiety. And Tole says that actually leads to suffering, not to happiness or well-being. But to stay in the now is not to cast off responsible planning for the future, nor is it to say we don't ever need to reflect on how we could have lived differently, but rather to realize that the best way to build a past that you don't regret is to stay fully open to what's happening in the moment. And the best way to lead to a future that's good is to really be open and fully present to the now. And then anxiety goes down and you live more of your best self. It's mind-blowing, actually, to say that's kind of our calling. And so any kind of practice that you can adopt that keeps you grounded in that now is worth adopting because it supports that reality and keeps you in your place, so to speak. So I know somebody who developed a practice where they, every time they walk under a door, they just take one deep breath. These can be short practices, but think how many doors you go through in a daytime. So it's like a hundred reminders of, I'm here, listen to what's going on, because that'll actually take care of what I think I'm worried about later. I will be given what I need in this moment and the next and so on and so forth. So let's return to our mother, Orca. Maybe she wasn't confused or deranged. Maybe on some level, however whales know, she knew she needed to be right where she was and she needed to attend to that pain body, literal body, as long as she needed to. Now, as a future-oriented plan, it didn't make any sense. You don't go around carrying a body all the time. It's exhausting. It will kill you. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? 
Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have enough trouble for itself. You, no, stay in today. And so on some level, the whale knew that she needed to stay right there with that pain body, even if it killed her, perhaps, because she needed to express in a full sense her commitment and connection to that to whom she had given birth. And only when she was done attending to that work could she let it go 17 days later. And wouldn't you know that last Saturday that orca was spotted alive and healthy looking to scientists and even some said playing in the waves off the San Juan Island. So the question for us is, can we take the same kind of presence and courage and strength to hold our pain bodies as individuals and maybe as societies and maybe as communities? And can we practice her strength now? Amen.
Take your time now, not as bad as it seems, you'll be fine now. It's just the rivers and streams in between. You ain't where you want to be. Watch for signs now, you know what they mean, you'll be fine now. Stay close to me. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to take a look at the announcements in the bulletin, especially as fall approaches. We have a lot happening here in the life of the church, and I do encourage you to get involved. 
To highlight just a couple, one of my favorite congregational events of the year is coming in in just a couple of weeks. That's our in-gathering brunch sponsored by our Congregational Life Commission. It's going to be September 9th, and every year really is sort of the kickoff to our fall together. So I invite you to come to that. I also invite you to think about bringing a friend or a neighbor along. It's a great Sunday to introduce someone to Westminster, come to worship, and then have an amazing brunch afterwards. So if there's someone you've been thinking about inviting, that's always a good Sunday to do that. Um, Also, as fall approaches, Rob and I are beginning to prepare for our fall new member orientation. If you're new to the church or even if you've been attending a while and are thinking about membership, be in touch with one of us and we can tell you more about that. I also want to thank Barbara and Michael for the music today. And really today in our music all summer reminds me what a musically talented congregation we have. Um, our choir begins rehearsal next week. Um, if you might be interested in that or just interested in using some of your music and worship, I invite you to be in touch with Ruthie about that. So I invite you now to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn. It's number 307. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage, O God, for the facing of this hour, lest we miss thy kingdom's goal. As you go from here, go with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.
the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of us all in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit. Go with that this day and every day. Amen.